Thanks, Sean. Hi, everybody. It is a pleasure to look out and see your faces not hidden by masks. Very lovely to be here with you today. Um, actually, just as um, Sean was praying, my heart started beating quite heavily. And I know that Sean and I said before, um, you know, there's, it's always significant to stand up the front, but today we sort of sense the importance of the day. It's a, it's a special milestone day and we really want to uh, get it right. And so we've, my heart was pounding a bit. So um, I pray that what I share will be a blessing to us. Uh, and basically, I have a simple message for you. Fix your eyes on Jesus. It's just five words. For the, those who've been part of the whole word or phenomenon, they will get the reference of what's going on on the screen there. There's a word puzzle going around if you were not aware and uh, you have to try and guess what the word is within six guesses and if you get letters in the right place, you get a green one. So I think Jesus is the five-letter word that matters. Uh, and... I'm conscious that in this time, over this last period of time, of a couple of years, um, things have been COVID-dominated, haven't they? And if you're anything like me, just a little bit tired of it all, of the COVID-dominated conversation. And I, and I know many others, are looking for Christ-dominated conversation. Moving away from all the fear and the anxiety and the confusion of the last couple of years, to fix our eyes on Jesus. This is the call to us in Hebrews. To fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And it fits with our current series that we've been going through to follow Jesus. How can we follow him if we don't have our eyes on him? And I don't want to shy away from the truth that there's uncertainty that many people feel here, even at RBC at this time. We're saying farewell to John today and to Wally in a couple of weeks and many people have a little bit of anxiousness about what that means and change in general. I'm not shying away from that. But nevertheless, the call is fix our eyes on Jesus. So even as we acknowledge John and Jen and the family for the season that they've shared with us here at RBC today, we're directing to them, to this call and to us, to keep our eyes fixed on him for all that lies ahead. Well, as we come to this idea, this idea of vision and where we're focused, it's worth thinking about the fact that we have a central vision and we have peripheral vision. And if you have been training a learner driver, or you remember back to the days where you were a learner driver, peripheral vision is quite significant, isn't it? You need to be aware of what's going on around you. So it can be important, but don't be, you learn not to be distracted. You are aware but not distracted by the peripheral vision. Our gaze is central and forward. Um, and as I say, over the last um, weeks, months, years even, we've been trying to establish that horizon line in terms of uncertainty and we might be distracted by the peripheral, by the wind and the waves, but if we want to walk on water, we know where we need to have our eyes. And I think it's like putting on uh, some reality spectacles, the God goggles, to get the, the, the true picture. And I'd like us to look uh, today um, at the passage in Colossians chapter 1. So you might think from the title we were going to go to Hebrews. Well, we're not. We're going to Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 15. 
and reading through to verse 23. So if you have your Bibles, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, This is the gospel you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of of which I, Paul, have become a servant. As always, when we come to a passage, we like to think of the context of that passage and where it's coming from and why did Paul write to these people the words that he did Scripture has truth for us, but it's a, it is a focused truth. It's for a particular people in a particular place at a particular time. But it's here in our, in our Bible, so it's also a word to us. How is, that, how is what they were um, experiencing and what he wrote to them relevant to us? So a bit of background. You might recognise uh, that it's written to a church that's in a city called Colossae, coming out of a ministry of Epaphras, which came out of a ministry of Paul, and that this city was on a main trade route and they were exposed to quite um, a diverse group of people and diverse religious influence and, and Paul responds to some of these things. In that time, some of the thinking that was going around, that there were various levels of... Um, divinity. There was in fact that uh, earth, fire and water were gods or actual divinities in themselves and that there was these hierarchies towards the divine and you behaved in certain ways so you could go up a level. Now I'm assuming that there's some, look Jacob you'd be a gamer wouldn't you? So you'd know, increase your level in the games or whatever. Um, This sort of idea that you can do something and get to the next level and get to the next level and eventually you'll reach the divine. So the idea, the essential idea is that God is removed from the world and that he's separate and that he's distant. And Paul responds to this idea and he's seeing that Christ is central, first, foremost, the very image of God, firstborn among creation, firstborn among the dead, that God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. He doesn't just, he's just not one amongst a whole lot of others. And God doesn't just descend upon Christ and work somehow through him. He is God in his fullness. And all things find their source and their sustenance in him. 
So this is the sort of situation that he's responding to. And what we get here is that Christ is the creator, sustainer and reconciler and those are the three things that we're going to look at today. And I want to do it through referencing three Sunday school songs, three of the classics, I would say. So the first one, he's got the whole world in his hands. God the Son is creator. In verses 15 and 16, it says to us, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Verse 16, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is the creator. And when I think of God the creator, uh, it's, it's somewhat mind-blowing. You, you, surely we fall in awe of God as creator. I came across an article recently and it talked about the fact that there are 10 million colours in the world and they calculate this depending on, it's, it's the multiplying of the light levels and the, the red and green and the, I'm looking at my notes because I get it right, the yellow and blue and then you've got... Um, the, the surfaces that the light is reflecting off, the way that we view it as an individual. So they multiply all these things, 10 million colours times 10 million lighting types by 10 million light levels and 10 million surround colours and 6 billion people in the world, three modes of viewing and you end up with 18 with 32 zeros behind it. And that's just colours. This is God the creator at work. Entomologists, which are those guys and ladies who study insects, um, estimate there are over 10 quintillion insects. I hope people aren't upset by insects because there's 10 quintillion of them crawling, hopping or flying around at any one time. That is distinct from those who are sleeping or in various stages of metamorphosis. The zebra, I know many of you would know, the zebra has unique stripes. We have unique uh, fingerprints. Do you know that the skin of a tiger has stripes like its fur? There are calculated to be 12 times more plants and trees on earth than stars in the Milky Way. If there are between 200 to 400 billion stars in the Milky Way, that's, we've got more than a trillion trees upon our earth. And Paul writes to the Colossian Christians about this God, creator God, God who came to us. The creator came into his creation and he knows each of us uniquely and intimately. He knows our beginning from our end, our very thoughts and our words and yet he loves us. And we don't need intermediaries. We don't need to work through the levels. We have a way, direct access to God through Christ. He's not removed and inaccessible. He entered the world and he conquered sin and when we fix our eyes on Jesus, we fix our eyes on God, the Son creator, who knows you intimately. Now, when we recognise our sin, we're like Adam and Eve and we want to hide away. But when we come to him as Christians, we encourage, we find confidence that this is our God. God, the Son, is creator. Simple truth number two, song, Jesus loves me. God the Son is our sustainer. So I could have just as easily used the first song for this, but the reason I chose Jesus Loves Me is because here is the reason. 
verses 17 to 20. I'll just pull out um, verse 17, the second part. In him all things hold together. He sustains us. So everything you know and can imagine is held together by him. I, I, I often um, think of this when I, we, we went to the beach recently, last, in fact last week for a couple of days, and when I watch the ocean waves, just whether they're crashing onto the shore or whether they're just lapping at the shore, the vastness of the ocean just makes me worship God. But here is the reminder that he holds all things together. He holds the ocean in its place. You look out at the ocean, he's holding all of that in its place. And if you think back through history, right from the beginning of creation till now, despite sin, despite the fact that we ignore and we resist and we uh, choose any other way but his in a sense, he sustains us, he gives us breath. He sustains us in love and he does it because he is a saving God, because he is a loving God. And he ultimately, he sustains us by the gift of himself, which will sustain us in eternity. Second Peter tells us, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now the passage goes on in... Uh, wherever, <laughs> can't remember now. But anyway, he is the head of the body of the church and we understand the analogy of this, the body. We know that the head guides and, um, our functioning, it's the source of our functioning and Christ is the source of the functioning of the church. So the head guides and controls and everything in the body is connected. It's not a hard thing to understand that concept. What affects one affects the whole. You'll know that if you've ever stubbed your toe or if your taste buds aren't operating quite so well. You know that affects all of you. These things aren't hard for us to understand. And in Ephesians, it reminds us, he is over all, through all and in all. An echo of verse 17. God is the one over all, through all, in all, before all. And in Hebrews 1 through, we get the same message. He sustains all things by his powerful word. He is the head of the body, the church. He created all things and he sustains all things. God the Son is sustainer. What reassurance. We've got the confidence he created. We have the reassurance that he sustains us and he reconciles us to himself. Simple truth number three. The song, This Little Light of Mine. God the Son is reconciler. Verses 21 to 23 say, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. So it tells us how he achieved this reconciliation. It's through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And it's a demonstration that death itself is subject to him. Life and death are in his hands. And I want to point out that it's not, when we use that term um, reconcile, it's not in the way that we sometimes use it that it's a resignation or a surrender to something. He doesn't surrender to the situation. He reconciles us to himself. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it talks about this. 
All this from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And it goes on to talk about this ministry of reconciliation that has been given to us. That he committed to us the message that we are Christ's ambassadors, that we are to implore on Christ's behalf for those to be reconciled to God. As a result of reconciliation, the barrier of sin is removed and we are able to relate to God, to our neighbour, to creation. But reconciliation is a gift of God. It's done by him. And I want to mention here there are some T's and C's. You know the terms and conditions they always put in the fine print? When they put it in the fine print, you always wonder what they're trying to slip in there. God's not trying to slip in something Um, you know, unknown to us. But there are terms and conditions and you're sitting there going, what is she talking about? Well, I want to reassure you, I believe God's love is unconditional. He loves us. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. However, and he's also not willing that any should perish, but I also believe that salvation is conditional. Salvation is conditional upon someone receiving the gift. He will present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith. It is by faith that we are saved. And he is the author and perfecter of our faith. Reconciliation is God's work and it's applicable to everything in all creation and it is accomplished through Christ, through his death and resurrection. But we are saved by faith. Now there is an expression, apparently an Irish expression, those who know might be able to put me straight on my research about this later if I've got it wrong, But the story is that back in the 1400s there were two feuding families, the Keldares and the Ormonds. And the Earl of Ormond took refuge in a cathedral. The siege wore on and the Earl of Kildare thought, suddenly had this realisation, what a ridiculous situation we're in. Two families in the same place, worshipping the same God, Um, in the same church, in the same country and yet we're trying to kill kill each other. So he called out to the Earl of Ormond on the other side of the, the church door that he should, in the old English apparently, receive no villainy should he open the door and come out and there was no response. The Earl of Ormond was not quite convinced. So the story goes that the Earl of Kildare took whatever he could, and hacked a hole in the door and put his arm through as a sign of good faith. Then the Earl of Ormond knew this is genuine and he grasped the hand, they opened the door, the feud was ended, they embraced and apparently in St Patrick's Cathedral, Dublin, there is an ancient door on display and it has a rough hacked hole in that door and it's called the Door of Reconciliation. Now, I don't want to suggest that we're feuding with God, but it does say that we were enemies because of sin. There is a barrier in relationship when sin is there. But God reached out across space and time through the body of Christ to offer reconciliation and he puts his arm out. We don't need to fear the hand. We need to grasp a hold of that hand 
that offers us reconciliation. Now you might wonder, why did I choose this little light of mine for this section, God the Reconciler? Well, the Corinthians passage was a clue. He has reconciled us and he wants to present us wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation, but he asks us to shine our light as ministers of reconciliation, to continue in our faith. And this is our mission, to proclaim the gospel. This is our mission of RBC, not to be just growing in Jesus, but showing Jesus to the world, to shine our light. Once we were alienated and under accusation and Satan wants to distort our vision and distract us, but we are now reconciled and free from accusation. So it might say in the song, it's a little light, but uh, as I as shared it at uh, Christmas, it's God's glorious light. We just reflect it in small, little ways through our words and our actions and our demonstration of him. I ask you today to choose to affirm God the Son as reconciler. Affirm your purpose as a minister of reconciliation. Shine your light. Fix your eyes on Jesus Seek him and him alone. Worship him and him alone. Give thanks to him and him alone. Surrender and live for him and him alone. Focus on, focus on him and do not be distracted by self-pleasure, self-control or any other thing. Christ is first, foremost, central and almighty. He's the source of our confidence. He's the source of our reassurance. He's the source of our purpose because he is God the Son, creator, sustainer, and reconciler. Fix your eyes on him. Well, let us pray after that message. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are our reconciler, you are our creator and our sustainer. Lord, thank you that you are everything to us. You are all we need. And so, Lord, we ask that we would fix our eyes on you. Help us to fix our eyes on you. As we go out into our week, as we go out into our lives, may you be the focus of our sight. We pray that in your name. Amen.